Hello, and welcome to another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast brought to you by Cheeky Scientist. I'm your host, Isaiah Hinkle, and today we will be talking with Anne-Marie Siegel on professional resumes. Excellent interview today. If you want to listen to the full interview um, and get additional insights that you can't get here, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association. Um, enter your name and email address on that page. Um, you'll also receive information on how to get access to our complete job search blueprint for PhDs, as well as our private PhD job referral network. If you're interested in having these podcasts, as well as our free articles delivered to your email inbox as they become available, just go to CheekyScientist.com, our homepage, and sign up with your name and email address at the bottom of that page. Finally, you can listen to our other podcasts on iTunes by simply searching Industry Careers for PhDs. So once again today, we will be talking with Anne-Marie Siegel on professional resumes, and we will be getting started now. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I was almost a PhD at one time <laughs> at the <laughs> University of Chicago, so I guess I bring that background as well. You're one of the lucky ones to to make it out early, <laughs> get right get right into uh right into industry. Uh, so yeah, thanks thanks for being here, and I you know I'm very excited to talk about uh, creating professional resumes with you. You know I, I mentioned to those of you listening that I was reading a, a Forbes article on resumes, and it was by Anne, and it was it was uh, exceptionally written. And I I said you know what we we should bring in Anne to to give a webinar, and Kathy. Uh, along with Laura made it happen. So uh, make sure you say thanks to them when you see them later in the group. Uh, so so I really want to, in terms of asking you questions, and I want to kind of start from the beginning. Um, so let's say a, a particular client or somebody listening, you know, they find a position or career path that interests them. Uh, what is the first steps that they should take um, in the process from there, whether it has to do with resumes or, or beyond? Right. So. You, you said path or position, and, and it's interesting because I would, might approach it differently. Um, and I, I might have said to Kathy before we started this, I, I also back up a little bit further, and I know you give this advice to um, people in your association that you want to start thinking about your resume and your job search much, much before you actually are going to apply for a job. So I would back up all the way to that point. And, mm. and honestly, yes. as soon as possible. So if anyone's on the call who's saying, this might be interesting, but I don't have use for it today, you do. So I would start there. Um, and in particular, so for a path versus a position, what I mean by that is, if you have found a job that you believe you really, really want, the first thing I would do if you were my client was, would be to sit you down and say, take a very good look at the job description. What does the job expect from you? What do you imagine you'll be doing every day? If we're talking about the, the career path more generally, I suggest my clients get three to five job descriptions at least, and sometimes up to 10, and compare them and think about what is required in each of these different jobs, what's more appealing or less appealing. And then to go to the resume, you want to be writing your resume to the position, so specifically to what the job expectations are. No, that's we'll definitely dig into that as well, but I really like what you said in terms of thinking well in advance uh, about your job search before you need a job. And, and we've, we've heard this from other people 
uh, as well from all different kinds of backgrounds, you don't want to wait till you are six months away from defending your thesis or a few months away from running out of funding for your postdoc. You want to make sure you're thinking far ahead and you know, what you've, you've perhaps, those of you listening, you've seen some of the surveys and, you know, we've done or the studies we've quoted that most PhDs, they don't know where to start. That's their biggest obstacle. And so, so Anne, I think that's great advice in terms of really mapping out, you know, what are the various positions you're interested in, really kind of nailing down your strategy or your target before you sit down to write your resume. Because a lot of people do the reverse. They think that by writing their resume, they're going to figure out what they want. Yeah. Absolutely. And the the counterpart to that is obviously to, and this is something else that's said many, many times and, and needs to sink in, to network. And networking is not just a way to a job, but at the very beginning, it's a way, especially through informational interviews, and mm. if that's a term we can explain, I'm happy to do that, or if should explain, I'm happy to do that. Oh, yeah, I think we should definitely go into that. Yeah, so why don't, I mean, let's jump into it. Oh, go ahead. No, well, that's a. That, why don't we? Yeah, what is a what is a basic definition of an informational interview? So the idea of an informational interview is that you are essentially interviewing to get information from the other person. So mm -hmm. it could lead to a job. You don't go in with the expectation that you are interviewing for a job, and often it's not a great idea to be asking for a job, but asking information about the company and the industry generally is the idea. And it helps you, it's part of your reconnaissance yes. for your career. And to be thinking about the resume in particular, what is it that people do where you'd like to work? What, what are the skills that are needed? What are the competencies? And how can you translate them to go back to the resume? How can you translate them into words that you can present your value proposition on paper. Perfect. And, you, and some of you might be asking, why are we talking about informational interviews at the beginning of this webinar on resumes? Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, Anne discussed first creating, uh, building up a strong understanding of what you want first. What is the position that you want or positions that you want? How are you going to find that out? Now, most of you think that you're going to be able to find that information out on a job posting. Uh, but you've heard us we in one of our recent webinars talk about you know the hidden job market and that 80 percent of the jobs aren't even posted online so how else can you find out about positions or how else can you kind of survey different positions um that's where informational interviews come into play and and why they're so important it's why Ann brought it up so i, I appreciate you talking about that and and, and hopefully we can tie I it in later too i completely agree with you isaiah and i would add that the jobs that are posted in, at times are often not the best jobs as well because yes. by the time that they get to be posted it means they couldn't find someone through their own devices exactly and you know, I was I was it's funny because I was uh, at a conference earlier this week and they, they brought somebody brought up a interesting fact that a lot of the jobs that are posted online from large companies they may not even exist we've talked about before with you that they could be jobs um, that have already been filled and a, a large public company might have to keep it posted for a certain amount of time due to certain regulations uh, or, or, you know, uh, bylaws or things they have to do for shareholders. But some companies, they will actually post positions that they don't even intend to fill just so it, it communicates like to Wall Street that they have open positions. 
so there's you just cannot rely on job postings, and, and I, I think that's a uh, it's. It speaks a lot that you brought up informational interviews early because I think they are very important um, when it comes to a, a resume. But let's 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 try to translate that. So you go to an informational interview, uh, you talk about a, uh, several different types of positions. Maybe on the informational interview, you hear about a possible opening, and the person at the informational interview asks for you to send them their resume the next day. What do you do now? So wh where do you start in terms of the actual process of writing your resume? What do you recommend? Well, hopefully everyone on this call will already have started their resume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you count on? Now that we <laughs> have Maybe a CV. That. And that is exactly what happens, is they'll want a resume right away. And I get calls like this all the time from clients who are in a panic. Um, and the problem is you can't create a document that makes any sense for the position that you're you know, to, tailored to a position and also your best value proposition when you're trying to do that under time pressure. Um, it just leads to errors. It leads to um, overthinking or not really getting to the place you want to be. So um, assuming that someone already has what I call a base resume in place, which is one that they've written that is a general resume that expresses their skills more generally. What they'll want to do that night before they need to send it out is again to go to the job description. And if that job description is not sufficiently specific, they may need to go to other job descriptions that relate to similar positions to get a good sense of what it is. And then adding to that whatever they've learned in the informational interview. And then be tweaking the resume. And we haven't talked about resume structure yet, but there are certain parts of the resume I would suggest that they tweak. Yeah, so I think when, again, you bring up a good point, you should have a general resume written, and then when it comes time to target it for that position, there's a, there's a, a lot that needs to be done. Um, and you can use information that you learned from the informational interview to, to help target that resume. So, okay, in terms of, let's, let's start more generically and then start to drill down. What are what's some of the advice you have in terms of conveying your value, specifically for PhDs conveying their value on their resume? Right. So, um, if anybody who's read articles in the field about PhDs, you've seen that publications don't count or don't count as much as you'd like. Mm. Um, the first thing that PhDs need to do is think about what value they're trying to convey. And so, you know, I'm going to probably harp on this for the next 45 minutes or however long we have left, but always be thinking about your end game. I was in private equity and, you know, we're always thinking that way. Where is it you want to be and then take the steps to get there? Um, same thing with the value on the resume. The first thing you need to do is actually figure out what is your value and then think about. Uh, and, and in that context, obviously, transferable skills are really important. That's something that everybody has probably heard of as well. If you haven't, that those are skills that may have been acquired in one situation or work arrangement that can be transferred to what you're doing now. So if you're in a postdoc, um, academic postdoc, for example, how do you translate that to industry? You want to be thinking about the value. What is it that industry needs? So it's not just what did you do or a laundry list of your duties. 
Yes. But how do you translate that into the industry language, not using jargon on the resume necessarily, but the vocabulary that industry speaks? And that's how I would best convey value. Did I answer that? Or is there you more? did. And I'm really glad that you um, brought up transferable skills, again, very early in the process. Many of you might think that when you are writing your resume, you're approaching it like a CV. You want to talk about your job duties. You want to talk about methodologies. Um, but again, you should start by really thinking about your transferable skills. What skills have you learned, whether it's in the lab or uh, you know, at the bench or at the computer, where you currently are, that you can transfer to this new position? And if you've gone through any of our materials on creating industry bullet points and stuff, we've talked about the importance of really infusing your transferable skills into every bullet point on your resume. So I'm very happy to hear and give advi the advice to start thinking about your transferable skills first. Your transferable skills and your resume go, go hand in hand. In fact, it, your transferable skills go hand in hand with every part of the job search process, uh, your resume, uh, networking interviews. So yeah, that, that does make sense. And okay, so let's say you're you're looking at your transferable skills and and you alluded to this earlier. That one of the other things you want to think about is not your duty so much, but your results. So maybe you can talk about how PhDs or how people who feel like they don't have any tangible results can really come up with some quantified results to, to put on their resume. Right. So in the resume writing field, and I attend these conferences and everything, we talk about this quite a bit, there's the concept of metrics. You know, anybody, anyone on the call in data analytics obviously already thinks about it this way, and to a large extent mm -hmm. scientists generally are very focused on metrics. Um, in the resume context, there are different ways you can express metrics. So in industry, obviously, a lot of the focus is on what, how much money did we make? Mm. Um, how many what did we achieve in some numerical formula essentially yes. if you don't have that way to measure it you might find some other way to show I, I think the word that you used is great Isaiah and it's right on point to show results so yeah. there's there's even a formula that a lot of people if you're writing your own resume find easier to follow which it's it's alternatively called star or car it also applies to interviews but mm. this idea of challenge action and results mm. and it really focuses you on not just what what did you do or what was interesting to you about what the project was about but really how did it bring benefits because yes. that's what industry cares about exactly and I, I like that you know we and for those of you listening, you know we talk about the STAR technique or the CAR technique a lot with interviews. You can use it to help you create structures for uh, structure bullet points. Uh, you know we do talk about the importance in your bullet points when you're talking about the challenges, the actions that led to the results. To make sure you're using your transferable skills and your technical experience to communicate those challenges and actions. Um, but understanding what your audience is looking for in this case industry employers the fact that they're looking for results and like Ann bluntly said you know money they got to turn a profit to keep the company going so the more you can quantify these results and if you can talk about how your discoveries or your optimized methodologies you know led to data for grant funding and so forth uh, that's uh, you know uh, very very valuable as well well and and Isaiah, to add to that, it's not only the results that you achieved as far as, you know, did your project create a measurable value in dollars, for example, but you might have been involved in something that 
shows your affinity to business or, or the understanding of the language of business, for example, budgeting or dealing with um, something more in the business context and not just in the yes. lab. And I, I believe that would be an important value add to your resume as well. And then the question is, how do you organize that information? We often, um, I often use, and colleagues of mine often use different headers. And so you'll, if I think about the structure of a resume, you have um, not an objective, that's not what we use as much anymore, but a summary. And then you go into different positions that you've been in. And headings are great to have within positions if you have space for it. If you're doing a one-page resume, you may or may not. But hmm. the headings themselves will be responsive to the call of the job. And that helps you organize your thoughts and information. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the structure and let's get into the, you know, the more the more practical, I guess, nitty-gritty. When you're putting together your resumes, we talk a lot about, you know, and there's different, you know, semantics or names, whatever, for these parts of your resume. But we talk a lot about the visual center at the top of the resume, right. you know, which is where your professional summary is. And, you know, from there, your work experience, education, technical skills, and hobbies and awards. Maybe you could talk about how to position your headings, uh, what some of the headings might be, any kind of the cutting edge or leading edge information you have in terms of just creating those initial headings to, to really be the backbone of the structure of your resume. So what I would suggest here, and I, I asked Kathy before the call how many STEM PhDs there would be and non-STEM and... Mm. It's based on the specific field. I would suggest, I wouldn't say go out and see what people are doing in the field and copy it because you have no idea the provenance of the resume and whether the, it, it's actually modern and, and whether it's actually um, good for industry. But you do want to go out and see what people are doing, first of all. And you want to understand what, what headings actually speak to a job. So it, it really depends on the specifics of what you're going into. I don't know yes. that we could give, you know, maybe some generalities. Give headings that would be applicable to everybody on the call. Well, like so, like uh, for the professional summary, let's say, or or, or how do you, um, what what do you see professionally, or maybe what do you see some mistakes people make in terms of headings or, or formatting? Just if we're looking at like a a resume from you know, five feet away. What are some of the things that you want to see? You know, we talk about wanting a lot of white space, making it skimmable, having the headings be in bold, maybe just some things along those lines. Right. So one mistake I see often is someone will find a resume on the internet that looks great and copy it. And I've had clients come in and I'll say, so it says that you're bottom line oriented or you're resourceful or you're collaborative or whatever. Give me three examples of when you've been that, and they have to they have to struggle <laughs> to find it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'll say, well, did, you know, how did you come up with the fact that you're collaborative? You know, can when do you when have you worked on teams? It sounds like most you're, you're mostly an individual contributor. Oh well, it sounded good. I thought that's what they wanted. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. You know, so that's something clearly to steer away from. Uh, the other thing you mentioned, white space. What I when so I work with clients in two ways. Most often, I write the entire resume. Once in a while, I review, mark up the resume while someone's writing it. Um, in the latter process, especially, I notice this over and over. 
people use way too many words to say what they're trying to say. So I would suggest edit ruthlessly mm. when you're writing your own resume. Yeah, and really cut the cut the fat out of the resume. Um, we it, this can be something that is difficult for you know PhDs who are used to adding as much detail and information as possible, and you know, we do have our resume templates. We don't have to go into that, but you should have a lot of white space. You should be able to skim it. And I love what Anne brought up in terms of if you put something on your resume, be prepared to give specific examples. Uh, remember, the, the first time that a lot of people are going to look at your resume um, is during an actual site visit when they're across you from you on the table. Uh, we, we've talked about, you know, how many times you'll go into an interview and your resume will be handed off to somebody. Maybe it's somebody, you know, a similar position or somebody you'll be working with, uh, you know, even the department head um, while you're on site and they could be, that's the first time they see your resume, the first time they really thought about you and they're just going to go right down your resume and ask you questions based on your resume. It could be a recruiter, you know, like Ann said, she'll get somebody's resume and just start asking questions based on it. So make sure that you've really thought out what you're putting on there. Don't just follow our formula for resume bullet points. Make sure that you have you know, essentially stories and experiences to go with it and examples to give. But I think that's the, the key takeaway there. Great, great um, insights, and Thank you. Absolutely. And I've been on that side of the interviewing table where I've been handed a resume two minutes before walking in the door. We want someone in addition to the team we had set up or someone got called away and you need to sub and you need to um, substitute and here, go interview. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And that happens in every industry. So, yeah. Um, the idea you think that they're doing as much research on you before you come in and they're all waiting on bated breath to sit down with you, it's not true. The, the hiring manager will very likely be the most prepared one and then everybody else may have been told a couple of days earlier if they're lucky, they have somebody coming in, they may have been handed the person's resume that day. It happened to me quite a bit too. So. Um, right, right. And so sometimes they're grabbing at straws. Oh, no, what do I ask? And so they go <laughs> yes. right to the words on the page. Exactly. Very, just, a, a, I really think, a, a crucial, crucial takeaway. Uh, okay, so we have a lot of questions with resumes when, from, certainly from academics and PhDs. We have questions about gaps in the resume. And we have questions about having no industry experience. So how, how do you, would you address this, you know, from, I guess, from a PhD's perspective? Right. Um, so for gaps, it, in large part, it, it depends on, it, I'm going to give a lawyer answer, it depends, <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, it depends on a number of factors, one of which is how old the gap is. So there are companies, I have a client who was interviewing at Amazon yesterday, yesterday um, I guess it was her second interview, and when she mm. sent in the resume, she had a gap from 2007 to 2011. Now we're in 2017. And would you believe it? They asked, um, what were you doing from 2007 to 2011? Mm. <laughs> yeah, of course. She's like, oh, <laughs> I don't really, I, I don't really know, you know, and she, she, she answered it because we worked together, but it was, she was shocked that they would ask that level of detail. And I said, you know, sometimes they're just looking for things to ask you about. Sometimes it doesn't matter at all. I think people get very worked up about gaps. Um, there are employers who care about gaps. There are employers who care about knowing what you did every minute of your life since you graduated high school. And there are employers who don't care at all. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and but having a being prepared for it, it's such an obvious thing that people can ask you. That's 90% right. of the battle, like you said. And having a, a story or saying something more than I was just sitting in front of the TV, also crucial. <laughs> right. And so if the gap is much, if it's, if it's very far back in time, sometimes we put something in, sometimes we don't. Um, sometimes the gap is related to caring for family members or children. Um, I often do not put that in unless it's a very long period of time. I may put something in the cover letter, especially if it's more recent. So, for example, if someone has a PhD, got a PhD, did a postdoc, and then stayed home with kids and is now looking to come back, for example, there, it, we might address it directly. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, too, because we get that question a lot. You know, what if you decided to have children and take a break. This is something that comes up quite a bit. Um, what if you decided to take some time off? I think you, uh, the biggest point you're bringing up is it, it, it all depends. It depends on how long ago it was, right? So the context really matters. It depends on what you were doing and can you frame it in a way where you you know, are, are focusing it forward on the fact that you want to come back and you're ready for this role and you're committed to it. Right. And ways I've seen that addressed is you put yourself as CEO of, oh, you called me Siegel earlier. Now it's an opportune time to say it's Seagal. Seagal. Thank um, you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. I could put CEO of Seagal households and then again, put in transferable skills or don't put in a description at all. This also goes to the networking point. People who are out of the job market for a while are much more likely to find something because their credibility is so much higher if they go through their network. And network isn't network is a word that's scary for a lot of people. I don't have a really great network. She's talking about networking. Oh God, she must be talking to someone else because that's not me. But <laughs> networking is is something that we all do. We all have a network. We all simply need to figure out how to build out the right way to the right people. Mm. Yeah. The, the life of the party. We just need to get the right people in our camp. Yeah, and again, and, and you, for those of you listening, you'll notice we're talking about a lot of things, informational interviews, networking, uh, you know, regular interviews, and how all these things tie in together because a resume is it's just a, a small piece of the pu puzzle that shows up in many different places. And you have to really think about your overall job search first and what you want, like Anne said at the very beginning, before you put your resume down. And you have to think about it overall in terms of uh, gathering content for your resume too. You know, what, do, what topics do you want brought up during an interview? Uh, for networking, who are you going to be giving your resume to? How are you going to be driving referrals so you can hand your resume directly to a hiring manager? Uh, what are some of the questions that could come up on a phone screen and so forth? So lots of, lots of great takeaways here. Um, Isaiah, I'm so glad you brought that up too because, you know, honestly, if you talk about resume mistakes, it's not only the mistake of what's on the page, but there's also the mistake that people get stuck. I don't have a good resume. So I'm going to just put my head in the sand, not move forward. Yeah. So on that note, what what if you don't have the exact skills for a role and they're asking for it? You don't have two to five years of industry experience. They're asking for it. What? How do you? What do you usually coach people on in terms of addressing these? What what they see as you know in insufficiencies? Right. So if someone, if a job, if the call of the job description 
is 25 years experience and you have two. <laughs> I would <laughs> right. probably coach them that, you know, they're not being realistic about their job prospects. Right. Um, I yes. had a client yesterday say, well, I'm young and I'm cheap and, you know, maybe they want me anyway. I said, don't ever sell yourself as being cheap. <laughs> it's not a good way to get it across. Um, you can sell yourself as more energetic, maybe, you know, nothing to take away from older and myself included. You know, we have a lot of energy as well, but you're kind of very enthusiastic at the beginning of career can be molded, that sort of thing. Um, so putting that aside, if you have, you know, two years experience and looking for five, one of the techniques I suggest to clients is to be very good about tailoring your resume and cover letter to show that you are very interested in this specific job because many candidates won't and you'll come across ahead of the pack that way. Thank you for joining us for another Industry Careers for PhDs podcast. If you're interested in attending one of these interviews live, or if you're interested in getting access to the full interview, including all of the background materials and show notes, go to cheekyscientist.com backslash association and learn how to become a associate. Uh, you can get on the wait list for the next association enrollment period there and learn full details about the program. It's a program specifically designed to help PhDs transition uh, into top industry positions. If you would like to see receive more of these interview highlights uh, via our podcast uh, sent directly to your email, go to cheekyscientist.com and email subscribe under where it says start here. If you haven't already, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Um, until next week, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.